is going on, baseball fans? Hopefully you're watching this on YouTube because we have a new intro courtesy of managing editor Peyton Ellison. So Shut up, very exciting way to start. Episode six of season two of This Week in Baseball presented by Diamond Digest. I'm your host, Jordan Lazowski. And we have our episode one crew back on today. Sean Huff, Diego Franco Carano, and fellow White Sox fan, Thatcher Zalewski. How are we doing this wonderful Sunday afternoon? Very good. Well, I'm sorry, you know, I won me some money, so. What won you some money? Oscar, you know, getting over five and a half strikeouts. <laughs> nice. The Giants are still in first place, so I'm happy. Uh, build the statue for Jose Abreu at the rate. Get it. Started. We've all got things to celebrate. Today. <laughs> I'll be honest. Varying levels of just yeah, overall confidence. You know, still being in first place somehow is. A very I don't know how event. we're here either. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to complain but, though. I was going to say, I, I wouldn't be one to complain either. No, I, I'm going to enjoy it while it lasts. <laughs> We've got a wonderful show again for you guys. Um, we'll start with our usual standings updates. We'll go around the league in 60 seconds. We'll have each of these wonderful panelists tell us what they think you should know about what happened this week in baseball. We'll get into our new and improved seventh inning stretch. We'll wrap up with what we're going to be watching this week, and we will send you on your merry way for another week of baseball. So let's not hesitate any further. Let's jump into the standings. So if the season ended today, here's what the standings would look like. Now, mind you, we record this on Sunday afternoon, so this may or may not shift by the time you're listening to it. The Boston Red Sox are currently atop the AL East. The Chicago White Sox are currently atop the AL Central. And the Oakland Athletics sit atop the AL West. The two wildcard teams out there, the Houston Astros at 24 and 17, and the Cleveland Indians at 21 and 16. Toronto not far behind, neither are the Yankees. In the National League, the New York Mets at just 18 and 16 are atop the NL East. The NL Central is led by the St. Louis Cardinals. And as Diego previously mentioned, the 24 and 16 San Francisco Giants still atop the NL West. Heck yeah. The two wildcard teams out there, no surprise, the San Diego Padres at 23-17. And, and at 22-17, and 17, a team we're going to talk about a little bit today on seventh inning stretch, the Los Angeles Dodgers, still find themselves in the NL wildcard picture. And now three NL West teams currently sit in the divisional, or excuse me, in the playoff picture out there. Again, as a reminder, five teams in the playoffs this year, no expanded playoffs, unfortunately. But... Enough from me, enough about the standings. I'm going to turn it over to our wonderful panelists here to talk about Around the League in 60 Seconds, where they give us their one-minute recap of what they want to highlight throughout this week, throughout this league. Maybe things you wouldn't tend to think about. That's what they're here for. So we are going to start with, hmm, I'm in a good White Sox mood. We're starting with that, sure. So I mentioned this earlier, but starting off, uh, Jose Abreu deserves a statue at Guaranteed Right Field. <laughs> uh, he's just a phenomenal player; deserves one. There was uh, no hit, no no hitters thrown this week, which mm-hmm. is surprising considering wow. <laughs> that we had two thrown wow. last week. The Royals are finally showing that they're frauds, which I called back in Week One. That was going to happen. Uh, Minnesota continues to struggle and could potentially become sellers at the deadline if they continue playing at the rate they are. Uh, 
tight race in the NL West. Dodgers one game behind the Giants for first, and Padres are half a game out of first. Uh, Shea Otani continues to rake, and it's looking like to be the favorite for the MVP this year. And then Carlos Rodon had his first rough outing of the year after starting 5-0. It's a pretty good recap, especially the no-no-hitters. I mean, seventh-inning stretch questions are tough to come up with. The past couple weeks I've had some easy ones. Just, oh, guaranteed, no-hitter we can talk about. But unfortunately, and crazy enough to say, no no no-hitters this week for us to talk about. Sean, what you got? Yeah, this was the week of Aaron Judge. I have the Fangraphs leaderboards pulled up right now. Over the past seven calendar days, Judge has produced the second most F4 among position players. He has the highest WRC plus with a minimum of 20 plate appearances. Over that span, he's slashed 556, 636, 1278. That 1278 is a slugging, not an OPS. His WOBA in that span is 761. He has four homers. He's only striking out 4.5% of the time. For him, that's huge. He's still walking a lot. He is Aaron Judge. And I think it's just a good way for him to remind us, yeah, he's still one of the five, ten best position players in baseball. I know we all love the young guys now. We all love Acuna. We love Soto. We love Tatis. But Aaron Judge is still great. I think once he stays on the field, I, 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 I don't know. Once he's, my brain just malfunctioned right there. Last I think now I'm the judge to the Chicago White Sox train. <laughs> no, I am not <laughs> the judge to the White Sox train. I'm not that delusional. I think right. though, you're right. I, when he's on the field, you know, maybe he's not the top three player. A lot of people will try and claim he is, but at the same time, he's still one of the best in baseball. I, I think it's very easy to forget about him just because of how often he is not on the field. Um, it's also which is, really fun to see him be good because it's fun to see the Yankees fans do a complete 180 when last week they were saying, <laughs> oh, the judge experiment should be over. Yeah, the the notoriously fickle New York Yankees fan base don't count me as one of the surprised on that one. Diego, what's your recap? Uh, I mean, I guess, like these two hit a lot of like what was kind of going around the league, but in general, I just kind of want to talk like looking a little bit into the standings. Like Thatcher uh, mentioned, the Twins. The Twins currently, as of right now, have a worse winning percentage than the Detroit Tigers. So that's something. That's uh, that's a problem. Uh, but also, like the Angels, they're struggling still. We're about a fourth of the way through the season. Um, for a lot of these teams, like roughly, uh, roughly like you know, one sixty-two isn't exactly divided by four, but um, we're about a fourth of the way through the season, and like the standings are still in a very weird like limbo state. Like with some teams, if like the Giants are still on top of their division, and teams like uh, the Angels, who are supposed to be competing, are you know seventeen and twenty-two right now. Like they're you know falling further and further behind every day. It seems like, and teams like Boston, who are still mashing and have held like that top like uh, winning percentage in baseball for a while uh, since the Royals started tanking as we all predicted. Um, but yeah, like a lot of crazy kind of like standings situations around the league right now. And I mean, 40 ish games for every team is you're starting to see some sort of like last ability for some of these teams. Like this, some of these standings might stick around a lot longer than we thought they would. I mean, you bring up a really good question to start asking. I don't know, you know, when is too soon to start saying you're in trouble, but 
when you start looking at teams, especially Minnesota, when you're mm-hmm. 10 games under 500, you know, it, you're right. It is still May, but now you need to have like a good week, week and a half, like a complete winning week and a half right. to get yourself above just to 500, much less above yeah. 500. Same thing with the Angels. It's like they got to have a good week to get above 500. Yeah, so I mean, you're starting to kind yeah. of figure out, okay, when is it's, it's too early, but also you're digging is yourself it? in a hole that it's really hard to get out of, even if exactly. it is too early. Yeah. So those are, especially the Twins and the Angels, are two teams to really monitor as you start going week to week. It's, you know, at, at what point is it, you know, you got to win 70 of your next 90 games to start getting out of a hole, and you're just not going to compete at that level. I think there was something like Twins have to go 75 and 50 or roughly around there to – win 90 games this year. That's going to be really hard to do. That's hard for any team to do, much less a team who needs to do it. And and we're starting to get to the point this year where those teams need to start thinking about, is it almost too late? Um, The Minnesota Twins are below the division, in their division, below the Detroit Tigers. That is a massive red flag. Yeah. Again, early is early, but... Still, that's never a good thing at any point in the season, really. Even week one, if you're below the Tigers, I think that's kind of concerning. (laughs) Right. Just a little bit. Yeah. Sean, did you have something to say? Yeah, like, the Twins and the Red Sox at this point, like, we could probably all agree they're about the same true talent level, like, roughly the same. But if you're making a pick right now, which one's going to finish the season with more wins? The Red Sox have banked a lot more. Right. I, I yeah. It, it all comes back to when are you fully prepared to be like that? It's too late. Um, something to monitor. Absolutely something to monitor. But we'll talk plenty more about a lot of these teams in seventh inning stretch as we get going here. Our new and improved version, where instead of just one point per round. It is infinite amounts per round. Had a good voice. <laughs> All right, there we go. There's a good way to get a couple points. Um, seven, same as usual, seven questions, seven things that we really want to talk about as you, you look at what's going on both in the majors and the minors and outside of the on-field play. So without further ado, to the three of you, good luck, and here we go. First inning. The MLB Players Association filed a $500 million grievance against Major League Baseball this week, claiming the league did not, quote, act in good faith in trying to get as many games scheduled in 2020 as possible. In return, Major League Baseball has filed a counter-grievance. Given that the current collective bargaining agreement expires on December 1st, it's hard to see a world where there isn't a lockout coming December 2nd, right? And we'll start that with Diego. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, the the bozos at the top of Major League Baseball are just awful for the game as a whole. Like, we all know this. Manfred's an idiot. We know that. it's He is atrocious for sports as a whole, internationally, I'd say, even. And so there should be a lockout at this point. I mean, the players deserve better. The players just want to play baseball. They're like, hey, this is a sport I love doing every day. 
you want you guys pay me to do this every day. So let's do it every day. Like the players are very reasonable in like deciding and knowing that they want to play, but the dumb school idiots at the top don't seem to want to do that. That and like the blackout restrictions, everything. There's so much that's wrong with the game right now. But like a lockout is definitely something that I think will send that that message to the top. That is like, hey, we need change. We need it now. And if you're not going to give give us that change for the players, the fans, and anyone else who cares even remotely about baseball, it, within the you know U.S. or outside of the U.S., who anyone who watches any major league baseball team, they deserve better. And the players are in their hands and have this lockout, and it's hopefully. Diego's audio cut out a, a little bit towards the end there, but some fiery takes, some fiery buzzwords that earned him 18 points. I, I think uh, I think it hit on some very sore topics for me personally as a fan. Uh, Thatcher, what you got? So, yeah, unfortunately, I think a blackout or a strike is uh, bound to happen if the MLB and Players Association keep, like, having their uh, disagreements that they're having over rules, pays, and basically everything that has to do with the game of baseball. They say they want players to brand themselves and express themselves, yet they are fining Trevor Bauer for wearing his personal logo and having it visible on the field when it's just on an undershirt while still having the Nike logo and the Dodgers logo on the shirt at the same time. Now, I don't understand how you can say you want players to express themselves and then do go and find someone for trying to brand themselves and build themselves up as a player. Rob Manfred definitely needs to fix things. Like they couldn't it took them until like the last day before the season started to decide if they're going to have the universal DH, if like seven inning double headers were still going to be a thing. It took them forever to finish that and Unfortunately, with this Players Association agreement coming up in December, I think a strike is bound to happen. And unfortunately, that's not good for baseball, but hopefully it will help fix the game of baseball. And Sean. Yeah, of course there's going to be a lockout. We knew as soon as last year when the owners proposed a 60-game season, the players responded with something along the lines of, how about 70 to 75 games? And the owner's reply was... To paraphrase, this is the worst offer we've ever seen. We knew since that point that there was going to be a lockout. It's just a matter of how long it is and if it delays the season, honestly. And a big reason for it is the owners don't really seem to know what the players want. They seem like they want to use Universal DH as a massive bargaining chip, which, yeah, of course the players want that. But it's not first on their list. It's probably not even top 10 in their list. They want a lot of the structures fixed. They want to be able to hit free agency sooner. They want uh, they want to get paid for their 20s when they're in their 20s. And also, can we just say for a second how weird it was that Adam Silver had to tell Rob Manfred that baseball's good? Like, that's one of the weirdest things I've ever heard. I, I don't get it. Of course there's going to be a lockout. Manfred doesn't understand his own sport. I thought that quote was hilarious when he was like, told him like the length was fine because a lot from our sports betting. I'm like, someone had to tell you that. Like, 
And, and I'm no... I'm not surprised. Listen, I'm no big commissioner or baseball type person. Like, I, I don't think I could fill that role tomorrow. At the same time, you got to know your... You got to know your own game enough. The the only the only place here I'll play devil's advocate because I I do think there's going to be a lockout. I think it's as close to inevitable as it gets. Unfortunately, the the only reason I'm playing devil's advocate even a little bit is because the union signed an agreement that said you know if they couldn't come to an agreement, Manfred could unilaterally decide the season. Once you gave them that sort of leverage, like you don't have any more like. You've lost all leverage you possibly have once that clause was written in there. That's the only reason I'll play devil's advocate. I, I still don't like, don't get me wrong, what the league has done to players in general. I think it's pretty terrible. But find someone in the players' union who can, again, because they signed this deal. So find someone in the players' union who can represent the players a little bit better than in that case. I, I think that's a big problem, too. I don't think the owners know what players want necessarily. Some of the higher ups in the union don't seem to know what the players want either, which is the real problem in my opinion. Um, but I, I think you're all right in that there's likely a lockout and no one really seems to want to listen to one another, which is unfortunate. So inning two, the Dodgers made some interesting moves this weekend, <laughs> signing Albert Pujols after his release last week from the angels and then trading for Yoshi Satsugo from the Rays who had signed that two year deal a couple years back. He's in the second year of the two year deal. Simply explain what the purpose of these moves might be. Explain it for Dodgers fans. As they look and go, they signed who? <laughs> we'll start with Sean. Uh, so, at least Dodgers fans know who Albert Pujols is. That's that's a good start. <laughs> um, I don't know off the top of my head what his career numbers against them are, but it's an NL team, so they're probably along the lines of 330, 430, 700. Um <laughs> He'll, he's not going to play much of a role. He's going to be a bit player. He'll pinch hit against lefties. He'll get an occasional spot start to spell Muncie or if they need Muncie to play second base. And he'll bring in name recognition. Not that they needed any more of that. But he's not going to have a huge role. Tatsuno's more interesting. He's He walks a lot. He also strikes out a ton. But... Last year, he had an untenable strikeout rate. It was 27%. And he was still almost a league average hitter. That was despite a 230 BABIP and despite underperforming his ex-WOBA. So he could be decent. He'll probably serve as their primary DH in interleague games, I would imagine, at least at this point. And Dellinger's hurt. We don't know when he'll be back. Noisy's going to need to play the infield more now. It's, he's going to get a decent amount of time. Thatcher? Yeah, so, I mean, these are kind of random signings. The main reason I found for the Albert Pujol signing was that he has like an 890 OPS or something like that against left-handed pitching this year, while the Dodgers are batting like 123 as a team against lefties this year. So, I mean, maybe they're thinking Albert Pujols can be their solution to left-handed to help raise their average against left-handed pitching. I mean, he also brings in money value because I'm sure people are going to get Albert Pujols Dodgers jerseys just because it's Albert Pujols and it's a Dodgers jersey. It's just a random thing you can own. And then for uh, Yoshi Setsugo, like Sean mentioned, this is more of an interesting one for me because I feel like the Rays, like they 
can fix or like make random players good <laughs> or better. And they weren't able to do that with Setsugo. But if any other team in baseball can do that, I think it's the Dodgers because they found to have random players produce for them. Like this year, DJ Peters as being an example. I thought he was someone else when they called him up and it was not. <laughs> it was not so. Um, Different guy. Yeah. I mean, who, who do you think he was? It was. I thought he was the guy. I thought he was a part of the White Sox organization. I was going to say, did you think it was Jake Peter, the guy everyone yeah. got mad that they traded? Yeah, that's who I thought it was. I'm like, is he really get called up? <laughs> and so, yeah, that's who I thought it originally was. And so, I mean, if Sutsugo can at least be an average guy for the Dodgers and kind of make up for and help with their offense, I mean, they shouldn't complain because I think they've traded a player to be named later for him. So, doesn't really hurt them unless the Rays like snag an unknown guy that turns into an all star. Raise things. Yeah. Just raise Rays things. doing raise things. Diego? Yeah. So, kind of, I guess I'll start with uh, Yoshi, though. Um, we forget the Rays know how to turn anybody into an all star pitcher. Like, they took the flyer on the outfielder. They're like, maybe, maybe not. But that's beside the point. The Rays, um, you just, you know, like the numbers that were mentioned earlier by Sean. Um, I think the Dodgers saw those numbers and them being such an analytically driven front office saw like there's underperforming like his ex-Boba and stuff like that. Like we can use this and for a Dodgers team who's being stretched pretty thin right now, um, their organizational depth is really being challenged. And like it's, it's been said for, you know, years now that the Dodgers are one of the deepest teams throughout the minors in baseball. And that's being put to the test. And maybe they are a little shaky on their depth. And so maybe they want to bring in these reinforcements. Like uh, Yoshi, who has this, this some major league experience here uh, with the Rays and then bringing in Pujols, I think that's – I honestly think that's just like a money grab kind of deal. Well, they just want to flex in the rest of the league. Like, yeah, we have Albert Pujols now, who was good 12 years ago, but that's beside the point. Like, I think it's just a name recognition thing. They want him to – like. To maybe put up like those, every home run is going to be a big home run from this point on. Because like, oh, is that his last home run? They're going to milk the hell out of that. Like, I just think that's just that's what's going to happen there. And you know, it's not. I I, I don't respect the Dodgers, but like, <laughs> that's something that I mean, teams will do that, and that's, you'll see that all the time. But that he can serve some purpose on that team more so as like a mentorship thing because it's a pretty young team, um, and I think that's going to be beneficial like off the field per se, and like. I think that's mostly what that signing is. And, I mean, the, the Angels to the Dodgers, that kind of made a little sense for Pujols, too. So I'm sure the Dodgers were like, yeah, I'll bring him on the 420K for the rest of the season. Like, they they probably don't – I don't think he sticks out the rest of that con, like the rest of the year in a Dodgers uniform. I think he gets released again at some point. They really do. Um, but, you know, what's the harm in having him right now? There really isn't – some, like, I mean, he's not going to play every day. He'll play every now and then, spot start, pinch hit. And, you know, it is what it is. Pujols is still in the bigs. That's good for baseball, question mark. But big names are never bad. So that big name going to a big name team, I'm sure the Dodgers saw more value in that purely on it in itself to, like, to justify the signing. I think the biggest thing outside of all these good points y'all made was, you know, 
there, there's something to be said about a guy getting to go out and and getting his appreciation on his way out for what he did for the game over the course of a career. And I think Pujols is one of those guys where it's like, you want to make sure you're cheering him off the field on his last time. It sounds silly. It sounds stupid, but he's one of those guys where if you have the opportunity to give it, you might as well. Um, the Dodgers do play in St. Louis later this year. There you Just go. Pointing that out. That's also so, another thing. It's something to keep in mind that, you know, yeah, baseball is a business, but at the same time, it's the people who make up the business that are an important part of it. So, Inning three, Jared Kelnick was finally called up to the majors this week by the Mariners and has responded with a three-for-four three performance in just his second career game. Given the current state of baseball and the fact that Kelnick's readiness for Major League Baseball probably wasn't changed by six AAA games, how high of a priority should service time manipulation be in the next collective bargaining agreement that we had talked about for the Players' Union? And what's your proposal to fix it? We will start with Thatcher. So service time is a big issue right now in baseball, and you're seeing it a lot through many teams, the Mariners being the prime example with Kelnick and then Julio Rodriguez as well, who many expect to see this year. He's currently raking in the minors, and he should be up sometime this year, probably around the deadline when they move Mitch Hanniger to the White Sox. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Uh, and um, <laughs> now for my proposal to fix it is that you can't, it's kind of hard to fix because like, you can't like be like, Oh, if you don't have a legitimate reason, then you can, like can find them because then player teams can just come up with a random reason. I see it more as like not waiting till a certain date to, like actually kick in the year of a service time, I think it's like, should be like, Oh, if they get like 50 plate appearances and that counts as a full season. So like, you can't really manipulate the players as much that like, it's basically on them to, or at bats to get there and get their contract. It's kind of hard to fix, but proposing like more of a, stipulation like with playing time like at bats and i know like managers might manipulate that but it's it's a really hard thing to fix but that's the best way i came up with sean okay so uh, first of all i want to say it's it's a really good thing kelnick got those six games at triple a to fix his defense <laughs> that was keeping him out of the majors like, you know, I, I can't imagine watching him without those few games <laughs> Um, my first of all, it should be the the number two priority in my opinion in the CBA behind getting the minor leaguers paid. That should be number one. I, I know the MLBPA doesn't care so much about that, but that really should be number one, at least from a standpoint of hey, all of them are people. But fixing service time has to be really close behind that. It'll probably be the the top priority for the players. And my proposal to fix it is pr the simplest one, just start the clock when they get drafted. Like, start the clock as soon as they've played a professional game. You would That would involve making the clock a little longer. It wouldn't be seven years. It would probably be nine at that point. You stay nine years in your organization. But it would encourage teams... It would... Got tongue-tied there. It would encourage teams to rush their best players through the minors because it's always a running clock then. And once they get to the majors, there's no reason to ever send them down. Like, 
was it Kyle Freeland a few years ago who got sent down in the middle of his good his one good season and got his service time manipulated that way instead of holding out to the Super Two deadline? Mm-hmm. So, I think so. yeah, I think teams yeah. teams could even do it that way at this point. Not under starting the clock right away. Yeah, you can still do that, but there's no benefit to it. Diego. Uh, yeah, I kind of very much kind of like along the same thing as Sean there. Uh, the six games, super helpful, I'm sure. Uh, you know, I didn't see him, but I'm sure the six games were vital to his development. Um, but, uh, yeah, like I like the idea a lot of having like a always running clock as soon as you play your first major league game. I think that's a really big like some, like incentive to get those top players up. If that was the case now, we'd probably see Wander Frank on the bigs at this moment, Julio Rodriguez. Like we'd see a lot of these other top prospects who are, you know, they're clear, not clearly ready, but they're clearly ready. To everyone else besides uh, the people who care about the service time manipulation, they're clearly ready. Um, but like, if that's the case, like, or even having like a, a clock the moment they hit like double A or something like that, because then you can't sink a player like for you know, like three or four years that double and triple A, even though they probably should have gotten called up like way long ago. And like also what Sean said, I think minor leaguers severely underpaid as well. That probably isn't going to be the top priority for these uh, for MLBPA, but you know, it's people are people. Don't pay minor leaguers two fifteen an hour. Like, I work for an independent team baseball league. I'm pretty sure I'm getting paid more than the players in the field. And, like, that's horrific. That's awful. And, like, that's not how it should be. And, but, like, the service time manipulation also is a really big deal. Remember when Marcus Stroman last year um, kind of did his thing with his contract? He was, like, kind of fighting that service time idea. Like, I think players will put themselves in more positions to do stuff like that. And then teams end up getting screwed over in like the long run rather than the short term when they don't really realize it. And like, cause the players are eventually going to start taking this in their own hands because ultimately the players should hold all the power. They are what these big execs at the top are relying on to make them their money that they want and all of that. So the players ultimately should have all the power. That's not how it works, unfortunately, but it really should. And it's tough to kind of watch all this manipulation. And plus, teams, we just want, as fans, we just want to see good baseball. We just want to see these uh, players that were drafted, like, several years ago. We finally want to see them get to the bigs. And that's just, as a fan, that's really what we want. And at least that's what I want. I just want to watch good players play good baseball for as long as they possibly can in the bigs. I like all those proposals. I, I think if it has to stay at the major league level, then you got to shorten the number of days before it's considered a quote unquote full season. Like it, it hurts more if you, if the clock would have to start in like June or something, then you keep them down for three months worth of baseball. Now at this point, I, I don't know. It's a tough one. I, I think, you know, you, you don't necessarily want to, I, you see the, Pros and cons, you know, you don't necessarily want to rush guys to the majors because then that's how you end up busting them. But at the same time, you don't need them to stall at the same time just because of your own financial gains. Um, Certainly not an easy solution either side of the ball. So definitely part of a wonderful time I'm sure we're going to have this offseason listening to the reports coming in. But Exciting. Inning four. 
The future of the Oakland Athletics Stadium was once again in the news this week, as it feels like it always is, prompting a vote on the stadium solution on July 20th. Now, just for a little bit more context, basically Major League Baseball gave approval to kind of move forward with some quote-unquote alternative plans other than Oakland Coliseum and Oakland in general. And the Oakland City Council has said, okay, we're going to vote on the new stadium proposal in Oakland on July 20th. Given that, as I mentioned, the A's in their ballpark seem to be in the news every season, what's the likely outcome here? Is this finally the year the A's are out of Oakland for good? And you can see why Kelly is not on this podcast this evening, as she would not be too happy to discuss the Oakland A's in such detail. We'll start with Diego. All right. So speaking of someone who's, I'm, I'm from, I grew up in California, um, uh, the Giants fan when I was a kid is like you pick the Giants or the the A's, but my family were Giants fans, so I was a Giants fan. Really glad I was um, because going to Oakland Coliseum, the best part of that stadium is the product on the field. They have a quality team, but that stadium is absolute garbage, and that's putting it in the nicest way I can think. Uh, that stadium, it's old. Like they. Look, the stadium, I get – I actually, no, I don't get it. Oakland, as a city, they, they drove the Raiders away. They drove the Warriors to San Francisco. They The Oakland City Council, which is ultimately the problem here as far as I've been able to tell, um, they don't want to sink the money into these teams that the people of the city care about. Because there's a lot – like all any A's fan that you talk about, I'm sure you guys – like experiences too. A's fans are some of the most passionate baseball fans you'll find. They love their team. They love their city. And now the athletics are all they have left. Everyone else is gone because Oakland as a city, like they're the people at the top, I guess, again, the city council has driven the other teams away. And so sadly, I think that's probably going to be the case with the A's too. You'll see them in like in Nashville, in Portland, somewhere else. Because or Vegas even like the fall of Raiders, like because the Oakland City Council just doesn't want to give this team the a new park, even though they desperately need it. Oakland Coliseum is not a ballpark that fans should have to attend. It's it's not a quality park. There's really nothing good about it. The park itself, the stadium itself, but I mean. People go because they love the athletics baseball. They no one's going there for the park, for the stadium, and that's the only reason why like people are still showing up. Give them a new stadium. Imagine how many more people are going to come to those games. Just imagine how much better that's out ultimately going to be for the city of Oakland too. But unfortunately, they're probably out pretty soon. Thatcher. Oh uh, yeah, I think Oakland is as good as gone from. The state of California, the A's are as good as gone from Oakland and the state of California. Um, I, I don't really see them sticking around there, especially how much like grief they've had to deal with with going through to the proposal to get a new stadium. The city just doesn't want it for some reason, and I can't understand why it will bring them more money. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've never personally been to the Coliseum, but from what I've seen... <laughs> From what I've seen, it doesn't look like a very appealing stadium to visit. And the only reason I would visit there is so I can get off my bucket list. I've gone to 
all 30 stadiums. I, uh, other than that, I have no reason to go to the Coliseum. I mean, just watching uh, the Raiders play on that field as well, it, it just looks horrible. Like, having to see them play on a baseball diamond just doesn't look good. I know, like, that has nothing to do with the A's, but this just doesn't look good as a whole for the stadium. And it'll be good for when the Sox go there because they always play horrible in Oakland. <laughs> so uh, I'll be glad to see them finally not be able to play in that ballpark. I'd like to personally see them move to Vegas and uh, follow the Raiders because when I was I went to Vegas a couple of years ago and seeing the build of the Raiders' new stadium, it looks really nice. They're putting a lot of effort into it to make it a modern-looking stadium to get fans to come to the and see the team. I mean, the Rangers, for example, a team who's been not very good over the past few years, got a new ballpark. They opened up to full capacity for home opener, and the stadium was packed with Rangers fans. Now, I know like it might be due to them being, not being able to attend games for all these for the past year, but I mean, I've never seen that many Rangers fans at a game ever. And seeing that stadium packed in a brand new stadium was nice to see for them. And I think it'll do the same for the Oakland athletics. Sean. So my first point here is what's the name of the Coliseum now? I think it's just the Coliseum, isn't it? Is I it, still call it the Oakland Alameda. Maybe Coliseum. Ring Central. I, I think I'm. I think I'm. <laughs> used to be Saying that on effectively wild that it's Ring Central or something. Well, now. Yeah, it's Ring okay. Central Coliseum. Yeah, okay. Horrific. That's I, worse. I, I that think, makes everything worse. Yeah. <laughs> I think four of us not being able to come up with that, including a kind of A's fan in Diego, yeah. is a huge point here. They have changed their name so many times. The stadium, one of my friends who's been there, I've never been there, of course, described it as, and I quote, quite possibly the most cursed building I've ever been inside. <laughs> That's accurate. I, the stadium is the problem here. I'm going to disagree with the two of you. I don't think the A's are going anywhere. And I think that because the other teams left, I, you see the A's fans there that... My enduring image of the A's fans is always going to be the We Believe in Steven Vogt chants and, and the time they got Eric Sogard voted the face of baseball on MLB Network over David Wright and Prime Joey Votto. So A's fans are rabid and they're amazing. And I think they're staying. I don't think, I don't think the fan base is letting them go anywhere. I think the city might burn down if that's the case. It'll be like when the Eagles won the Super Bowl. But uh, I, they do at least need a new stadium. And if they don't get that, I think they're going to San Jose or to Portland. They can't, they can't go to San Jose? No, the Giants own the right for baseball teams in San Jose. Yikes. Fun fact. They, they, they can be in pretty much Oakland. The Giants own a lot of like these like uh, space around there this, for like construction of baseball stadiums. I learned that one? while doing some research for this a long time ago, actually. Huh. Yeah, I if they can't get a new stadium, I think they are going to get it. I don't know that it'll be good. It might end up looking like a Home Depot, like the Rangers Stadium, <laughs> or it might end up being a glorified minor league park like the Nats have. But it, if they can't get it, they're out of there. They're not staying in the whatever it's called Coliseum anymore. 
It's a good name. <laughs> I've got two quick points, and then we'll move on. Number one, um, if they tear down Oakland, I'm, I'm calling it Oakland Alameda Coliseum. I still call it that. Um, if they do tear it down, I hope it takes whatever voodoo Thatcher mentioned with it against the White Sox. And number two, you know, Sean, you say A's fans getting Eric Sogard named the face of baseball MLB Network is, quote, amazing. I do it with White Sox fans, and you're cursing it out minus five points. Yeah. No questions asked. These are my rules. I get, I get White Sox fans to vote Tim Anderson, yeah. DD's face of baseball, and you are not Tim that Anderson wasn't kind. a problem. No, 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 no. There were no, no questions will be asked here. Minus five for you. Here we go. Inning five. Fact or fiction? <laughs> Fact or fiction, regardless of record, the Yankees are the best team in the American League. We will start with Thatcher. This this one's tough, but... I wonder who he's going to (laughs) pick. I'd like to pick my own Chicago White Sox, but I have to say that the Yankees are currently the best team in the American League overall-wise, just due to the fact that the White Sox have a lot of injuries right now, including their Luis Robert and Eloy Jimenez. And just the team is kind of getting some weird wins in a way. Like, you wouldn't expect that. I saw the doubleheader game on Friday. They had a starting lineup with Danny Mendick, Jake Lamb, Zach Collins, and Billy Hamilton, and I think Larry Garcia all in the lineup. And they managed to pull out the win in that game. So they're getting some weird wins, and the Yankees just got an unlucky start to the season, in my opinion. I think if they did not start off so slow, that they would be ahead of the Red Sox by maybe five games at this point. They're starting to heat things up. I mentioned, I think, on the last episode that I was on, and that they're heating up, and they're not slowing down. They have a, well, we'll actually get to see. Uh, the Sox versus Yankees this upcoming week, so we'll finally see who's the best team in the American League. So, but I to round out the question, I have it as a fact. Sean, fact with a few asterisks is um, so Fangraphs says yes. Fangraphs has them finishing the year at ninety four wins, which right now they say would be the best in the AL. They say the Red Sox, the Astros, and the White Sox are all between four and six games back of that. But there are some caveats here. If Dylan Cease's recent improvements are real, then I think it's the White Sox. I really trust that bullpen, and if he can lengthen that rotation, I think they're the best team. Similarly, if Framber Valdez comes back, I think the Astros are the best team. Trumber Valdez looked great in the playoffs. He looked great all of last year. His curve might be my single favorite pitch in baseball to watch. But the Yankees are still really good. Voigt is back now. I already talked about Judge. Stanton's been very good. Gary Sanchez has shown some signs of life, which is nice. Uh, It's nice when you follow the Gary Sanchez resurgence guy on Twitter, and he can tweet about it. Their bullpen is still incredible. Chapman might be the best reliever in the league at this point. He's struck out approximately 120% of the batters he's faced. So I think yes, but I'm really not sure there. That's fair. Diego? (laughs) Uh, So I, similar to Sean here, I'm going to say fiction with some asterisks. Um, So for me, 
I think I so my World Series pick was the Chicago White Sox for the AL. I had the the White Sox going to the World Series in my uh, before the season predictions, um, and I think the only thing holding the White Sox back really right now is uh, Tony Larusa and injuries. And like this last week, Larusa or the last couple weeks here, Larusa has had some 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 gaffes, some some. How do I put this nicely? Some really terrible managerial skills. Put it, put it the mean way. <laughs> uh, no, that was putting it the nice way. Um, mm. But he's made some really big mistakes here. Like, why is why is Hendricks running in extra innings? Like, that's the, the big one that still stands out. It's like, oh. I think that along with those injuries are what's holding the White Sox back right now. Like I said, I had them winning the World Series, or not winning the World Series, I had them going to the World Series. Um, in my like in my predictions at the beginning of the season, I think they're a very talented team. I've very much always been someone who's favored pitching, uh, and I think their pitching's solid, very very good. Um, and so I think they can ride that out. But like the caveats there are, you have teams like the A's who are no matter what kind of team they have, always seem to be winning nineties plus games. Like, they went on that massive winning streak earlier this season. Who says they can't do it again? I wouldn't be surprised if they did it again. Um, the Yankees do have a quality team. They're pretty solid, like, up up and down. I don't see a lot of them on Twitter because I have the word Yankees muted from my timeline forever. But um, that's beside the point. But they do – they have a good team. But the, the Red Sox, I think, are going to be a huge problem for them because if the Red Sox continue to just be a high-quality team, it's going to be hard for the Yankees to make the the – or win that division, and so you have teams like the the White Sox, who I think, I still think are going to pretty easily win that division. They'll start pulling away here at some point, um, but I just think the White Sox are going to like you know start dominating he, uh, pretty, here pretty soon, and they're going to start rolling and rolling, and then that team's going to be hard to beat. So I think with with the asterisks, I think it's fiction. I don't think the Yankees are the best team in America. Diego, clearly a veteran of this game, knowing how to earn himself some points. Thatcher, I have to take a minus two off of you. Danny uh, Mandic yeah. slander is I'm, not allowed. I'm not slandering. Mm, sounded I'm, like some Danny Mendick slander. Just, I'm just saying that. I am the judge and the jury here, Thatcher. <laughs> <laughs> that is a threat. It's not a lineup you think will win your game. <laughs> I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying Danny Mendick slander still untolerated. Hey, I, 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 I believe I'm in Mark for, for the Collins. I vouch from the over Larry Garcia in the White Sox. That's fair. Battle. Yeah, Zach is Collins great. is good. He's the best player on my team in tap baseball. <laughs> Zach Collins is solid. I think he's a solid yeah. backup catcher. I'm very happy with the production they've gotten out of him. But anywho, let's get out of the American League for a little bit and talk about the Dodgers. Inning six. To. Sorry, Diego. Yes, we do. <laughs> Corey Seager was hit on the hand in Saturday night's Dodgers game. An x-rays revealed a fracture in his hand. Though we don't know the length of time Seager will be out yet. We do know surgery is not required. What will this do for a Dodgers team in the midst of a three-team battle for the NL West that has already seen its fair share of injuries in terms of just general players that the Dodgers have already lost, guys like Dustin May and stuff like that? We'll start with Sean. So who do we think is playing short now, Lux or Taylor? Because there's a big difference there. 
Taylor is not the best defensive shortstop, but I really like him as a hitter. I know he's made swing changes like three times in the last five years, and each time he has another breakout. So just can he just keep doing that? He's he's gonna hit, and no matter where you put him, he's gonna be at least competent. Lux is not a good fielder. He's not a good fielder at second base. He can't throw. He's not going to be a shortstop. Hopefully he doesn't have to be for long. I really like Corey Seager. But I think the Dodgers will be fine. It is worrisome. Matt Beatty is right now listed as their projected cleanup hitter on Fangraphs against righties. And he's not the best. I know he has something of a cult following with the Dodgers fans, but definitely not the best. I still think they'll be fine. Bellinger's coming back. Seager probably won't be out that long. And they're still stacked. Their rotation, they could win 95 games just with the rotation with a below league average offense. And that's a lineup that still has Muncie and Betts and Turner and Will Smith. They're going to be fine. Thatcher? So I personally like to see Gavin Lux take over the reins at shortstop. And Sean, you mentioned he's not a good fielder, but he once was like a he was the Dodgers' top prospect at one point. And I'd like to see like how he can do with consistent playing time because we really haven't seen it yet with him. And he did hit that big home run against Seattle for them. So I definitely think he can produce. I don't know if he'll make up the for the lack of production from Corey Seager that they'll be missing, but I think Gavin Lux can be a fine offensive replacement. And you got Justin Turner at third, who is not a bad fielder. So I think now shortstop's like supposed to be the best position for you're supposed to be for fielding-wise. But I think Justin Turner can definitely help him out a bit over at um, third base over in short there. And the Dodgers have some good pitching as well. So as long as their pitching stays fine, hopefully Gavin Lux won't see Many opportunities at shortstop, and just, yeah, I think Gavin Lux will be a fine replacement. Like Sean mentioned, the Dodgers are the Dodgers. They're going to be fine. They've got Will Smith, Max Muncie. They've got endless options for offensive production. I think the Dodgers will be fine. Diego? Uh, yeah, so I saw today, uh, kind of on Twitter, floating around four weeks is kind of what um, people are thinking. Um, but also I saw that from Bob as well. So it's probably the rest of the season. Um, if Bob said four <laughs> weeks, it's probably forever. <laughs> um, but yeah, like the, the Dodgers, I just hate to say it. The Dodgers will be fine. I mean, what, what they lack on like on defense with like maybe having to scoot locks over to shortstop and have, uh, whoever playing second, I'm sure they have someone that minds is going to hit 400 while, uh, Seager's out. Um, <laughs> Moving that over, they can make up for the lack of defensive, like, uh, I guess, quality with their offense. And as much as their injuries have kind of hampered them this year, uh, I, I still think they'll be okay. Um, I think once they do get it back, though, they'll have some sort of wild, like, team come together, resurgence, and win, go, like, 50 and, like, 20 again or something like that. Like, it's going to be a lot, but I mean, overall, they're high quality team. They have high quality front office, high quality development, high quality minors. They're just they're going to be fun. As much as I despise saying that every time on here we have to talk about the Dodgers, they're going to be okay. And so that's just my two cents. 
I think the bigger question here is what are the implications for my two dynasty fantasy teams in which I own Corey Seager on both of them? Um, not, not well planned on my part, truthfully. Let's be honest with ourselves <laughs> here. But, oh yeah, Diego has a very nice score currently. <laughs> Thatcher and Sean trailing a bit yeah. as we head to our final question, a very important one. Drew Robinson hit his first minor league homer of the season this week for AAA Sacramento. Um, not having a great offensive start, but at the same time, what does his story and his journey, remember he was the player who had um, struggled with suicide, a suicide attempt that he survived at, at this point, but lost use of one of his eyes. What does this story and journey represent for both other players around the league, as well as for fans or even non-baseball fans at this point? And we'll start with Diego. Uh, yeah, so uh, Drew Robinson, uh, he's been in the Giants organization for a bit, so I've heard plenty about him. Um, this, I think, is a huge story for players and fans alike. Um, mental health as a whole is not talked about enough in schools, in like media, in any sort, anyway. You're trying to see it a little bit more, uh, which is fantastic. It's just not talked about nearly enough anywhere. And so this story, um, he got a documentary that had recently come out. Uh, I believe last weekend, um, and it's, I highly encourage everyone to go watch that as well. Um, I don't know where you can watch it off the top of my head, but I'm sure it will be somewhere um, like for people to watch. But it's, it's an incredible story. It's very inspiring for people, especially young people, like young sports fans, um, to see that kind of the story. And like he talks a lot about how um, this kind of really changes perspective and something as you know permanent as suicide. Uh, it's a very, it's a really, really big deal. And it's seeing just a player that I'm sure a lot of kids have looked up to. Cause like, you know, when you're a kid and you look up to just athletes in general, like kids who probably go to in Sacramento, watching him play every day down there. Sure. They look up to him um, even more so now. I mean, I very much respect every, like his entire journey, like getting to know it, like little by little, and it's just incredible what he's gone through. It's very, very tough, but I can't speak for anything else really outside of what I've experienced from it. But I highly encourage anyone to go educate themselves about suicide in general, mental health awareness at all. And I think his story really helps with that moving forward. Well said. Thatcher? Yeah, this was a very inspiring story. Just to kind of never give up on yourself. I that was awesome to see that he hit his first – he hit a home run with only one eye, and that's just really incredible. Like, it's hard enough to hit a home run, and now you're doing it with only one eye. So you're at a bigger disadvantage seeing, like, 95 miles per hour come at you, and you only got one eye to do it, and I think that's very impressive. This is a story that I think everyone should know about, if you like baseball or not, like – it's a great story and it's really inspirational to hear for basically anyone athlete or not to never give up on yourself and that you can accomplish things. And also this was just one, about a year ago when at the beginning of lockdown, he got really down on himself and he, now he's back playing baseball and at, and he's hitting home runs. So I think this is very great to hear that Drew Robinson is able to, like overcome his demons and fight through it and make his way back to playing baseball. And hopefully we see him up in the big league sometime this year with the giants. I think it's a good chance that happens. Yeah. And Sean. 
Really, I, I think it's a huge deal. I So last summer, I interned at a place that focused on mental health and actually giving seminars to uh, teachers and other education type people uh, for how to teach mental health in schools. And one of the big things that they did focus on was that most people, at least most people our age, the younger people younger than us, it started to change, but weren't taught about mental health growing up, nor did they have someone to look up to who was open and honest about things. And Drew Robinson really provides that. I know for a long time that person for baseball has been Zach Granke with his, he's been very inspiring too, but Robinson is even more so because it's just run so much deeper. He was so honest about everything. You can't help but be really happy for him. And to end this, I'll say the same friend that I said called the Coliseum cursed lives in Oklahoma City and saw Robinson play there two days ago, said the stadium gave him a standing ovation. I think it's important to end with a question like that and you know, we talk a lot about baseball every single week, but when, when there's stories that go above and beyond what we talk about, what we write about, I, I think it's important to highlight those, and I think you all did it a very good job of it. Um, so appreciate the, the maturity and the way in which you handle topics like that, and I, I think it's not only says a lot about each of your characters, but also, of course, Drew Robinson and what he does for the game. Um, and, and so many who might be struggling as he did and still probably does, but being able to overcome it and play major league baseball is, you know, it's a tough task if you're not battling your own demons and to be doing that on top of it is, is an incredible story. Um, Diego, congratulations on your victory uh, as a result this season. As a result, and because we give away so many prizes here, my prize to you is you get to start our final segment with what to watch for. So we've talked a lot about last week. We need to get preview and talking about this week. Each of our panelists here are going to talk about what one highlight, one matchup, something that's going on this week that they really think you should be tuning into because they certainly will be. So, Diego, what you got? Well, being very creative here, we are getting the first – Giants Dodgers series of the season this upcoming week. It's been, do you think it puts something in the first 40, 50 games of the season? But no, we're barely getting it this next week. Next weekend, uh, I believe the series starts on Friday. But two teams that are currently kind of slugging out for the top spot in the NL West. Like, I think, like, I'm watching that. I'll be watching all three games. Two of the three games are uh, MLB free game of the day. So I'd watch that. Sean? So, a team for the week I'm excited to watch are the Brewers. I still think the Brewers are far and away the best team in that terrible NL Central. And now Burns is back, and Yelich is rehabbing. The bullpen is still incredible. I think they're going to be really... Oh, yeah, and Freddie Peralta dominated today. I think they're really interesting to watch. I'm going to be at least checking it on their scores, if not watching all of their games. The one specific game that I'm excited for is tomorrow, John Lester versus Adbert Alzali. I think that's a really interesting contrast in pitchers. Where Lester, who has a really low ERA but isn't good anymore, and Alzali, who's really good but has an ERA of like five. I'm, I'm excited to watch that one. The duality of man. <laughs> <laughs> 
Ann Thatcher, what you watching this week? I can probably guess. Yeah. Well, <laughs> like I mentioned earlier in the one question, it's going to be White Sox Yankees mm-hmm. just to see who can actually become the, potentially the top team in the American League. Right now, the White Sox hold that spot based off record and winning percentage. We'll see if that keeps up. We'll get to see Dylan Cease and Carlos Rodon. I know this in the series. I don't know who the other pitcher will be because it's Lynn Keuchel and Giolito going against the Twins. But it'll be a great matchup to see as it's their first series before um, the eventual Field of Dreams game in August, which will be also entertaining. I hope I can go to that, but probably not. <laughs> But yeah, just um, overall, probably be a great matchup. Sox and Yankees always put on great, great games, and yeah, we'll see how it goes. I think that series, especially, is an important one in the American League, mostly because you got two starting pitchers for the Sox in Cease and Rodon, who have had pretty solid starts that you know are not uncharacteristic, but maybe unexpected for how good they've been. Um, that's a tough test. No matter who they've played before, the Yankees are going to always be a tough test, especially out in uh, Yankee Stadium. So, folks, we've come to the end of another This Week in Baseball episode. Appreciate the three of you panelists for jumping on. Appreciate everyone listening to this episode. The ticker is on the bottom if you're watching. If you're not, diamond-digest.com is the website. We'll have plenty more articles coming out this week as usual. At diamond underscore digest is the Twitter handle. Diamond Digest is the Instagram handle. I have the ticker mostly because I have trouble keeping track of those. We're very consistent. We're, we're naturally <laughs> consistent. We've done a great job of that. And But either way, no matter where you're going, no matter where you're looking for our stuff, there's plenty of quality content there. And we hope you enjoy it because we certainly will continue to bring it to you. So for the winner today, Diego Franco Carreno, for Sean Huff, and for my fellow White Sox fan, Thatcher Zaluski. This is Jordan Lazowski signing off. Take care, everyone. Enjoy your week, and we'll talk to you next week. See you soon. Go baseball. Go baseball.